we're working our way through this wonderful letter to the church in Ephesus. We're in Ephesians chapter 5. We're moving into a new little place. Verses 18 to 21. Be Spirit-filled. Please read with me the Holy Word of God. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dispensation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Father, you know how I have uh, wrestled with this. So, Lord, I'm going to ask you to teach because uh, this has got to be one of the most phenomenal things that you've uh, laid in my lap in a while. So, Father, I pray that you will teach my brothers and my sisters that we may know this, we may understand this, and uh, we can fight against the corruption. Help us, Lord. Teach us, Lord. Open our hearts and open our ears and our minds that we may understand what it is to be a child of the Most High God. I love you. Thank you, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen. This is an interesting text. It's fascinating. I moved into Ephesians whenever it was I started this book. The reason that I did is if you were to ask 50 Christians what church is, you'd probably get 50 different answers. And uh, I think that we might be surprised on how many of them would be wrong. Because I, I don't have a better way of describing it other than the Americanization of what the church should be. And when I look at what it is, it's nothing more than a business. When Paul tells us that it is the body of Christ, when Jesus tells me that it is his bride, I'm thinking that's more than a business. And uh, I had a discussion, an ongoing discussion, on a guy who is convinced that uh, the church must go through the great tribulation so she'll be purified. And uh, I finally sat him down and explained to him that uh, you need, instead of worrying about the end times, you need to spend a little more time in what it means to be the bride of Christ. Because I'm not sure that a merciful, holy, loving God would do that to his son's bride. So that's the reason that I moved into this. And those of you who have been with us for a while know that it has run some people off. There have been some people who have left the church over this letter. But I kind of knew that. If you've been a Christian any length of time, you understand the importance of this text. 
The first thing is, is that, and I think this is where we get ourselves in trouble, is that this is still part of the worthy walk that he started to tell you and I about in chapter 4, verse 1. The filling of the Spirit is critical for living the Christian life. This is God's standard. This book needs to be looked at as a whole. And I've shared this with you over and over, but I will bring it back to your remembrance. The first three chapters describes the power every believer has. And God is telling us, this is who you really are. We, too many of us wander into chapters 5 and 6 on what we should be doing, and we don't understand what is our resource on the front side of it. I mean, I went through a couple of days ago, uh, chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So which ones did he bless us with? Every. Verse 5, He predestined us as adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself according to the kind intentions of His will. Verse 6, To the praise and glory of His grace which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. Did you note that? It's not out of the riches of His grace. It is according to the riches of His grace. So ask yourself a silly question. What is the limit of His grace? That's where you're getting it from. Which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. Made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention. Verse 11. Also we have obtained an inheritance. Having been predestined according to his purpose. Who works all things after his counsel. Verse 13. In him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed with him, with the Holy Spirit of promise. The prototokos, the engagement ring to the bride of Christ, is the Holy Spirit who has given us a pledge, verse 14, of our inheritance with the view of the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. Chapter 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin. 
in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Have you ever wondered what a dead body responds to? It's not a really long wandering subject, is it? You could take a hat pin. You know what a hat pin is? <laughs> I may be dating myself. But they used to have these great big harpoons that women would hold their hats into their head. If you took one of them hat pins and stick a dead body in the leg with it, you know it will not cuss at you. It ain't going to jump. So you and I at one time lived in that. We too all formerly lived in the lusts of our own flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. But God, being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us. Verse 10 of chapter 2, We are His workmanship, created in Christ. Keep that in mind. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which He prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. And then He actually prays, chapter 1, 17 to 21, that God would open up your eyes and your mind so you'd start grasping this stuff. And yet this is all part of the power that every child of God has. He describes in those three chapters our position in Christ. And I have uh, walked with the king long enough that there are so many who don't understand their position in Christ. We have a tremendous inheritance. It's available to us. I call it resurrection power. Resurrection power. Remember, you were dead in your trespasses and sin, but you have been raised with Christ to walk in the newness of life, Romans 6 says. That power is there for every believer. Then in verse 13, chapter 3, 14 to 21, he has given you this high power performance creation that is a believer. And then he prays in chapter 3 that you turn it on. It's, I just look at it. He gives you three chapters of this. Whoa! Now he wants you to let the clutch out. I remember years ago, I was sitting in a funny car. Anybody know what a funny car is? It's it, Whoever thought them up was nuts. But anyway, it's a rail thing that's got a motor and a seat. And then it's got this plastic body that falls down on there that looks like a Pontiac or something like that. And I had a friend who raced with his dad. The car was called Mr. Pontiac. And I mean, this motor... You know, I don't know how big it was. It's one of these. So how do you see? So he says, I tell you what, he says, 
sit in the chair. He says, we'll start it up. He says, do me a favor. And I said, what's that? He says, don't touch anything. Okay, cool. So he's got a starter on it. It's not in the car. They stick it onto the front of it, and it spins, and it turns the blower, the supercharger, and it spins, and then it fires off, and it's and the whole thing, when it starts running, it, it messes with your heart rhythm. I mean, it's just like, oh, i got to change the beat of my heart because this just did. And the whole thing is shaking. And you're sitting there going, and you want to throw this into gear and floor it for a quarter mile. No, I don't think so. So anyway, Christians have that horsepower, and yet too many of us ain't willing to kick the clutch in. Let her fly. Let her fly. That's that prayer at the end of three. Chapter four, he says, look, here's the path. Here's the path you're on. It's a worthy walk, worthy of your calling. But remember, it's a very narrow path. It's a very exact path. And that is what it means to walk worthy of your calling. You have this amazing power. Listen, if you're an infant in Christ, you have it all instantaneously. Now, you don't know where the clutch is. And I'm sure that you haven't prayed that says, well, let's kick this thing in gear and get her down the road. Because we spend an awful lot of time saying, well, where's the road? How far do I got to go? But he gives us the path. We are different than this world. We are not on the world's highway. You've heard me use great rock and roll theology. It's a highway to hell and a stairway to heaven. Didn't think you could ever get that out. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but these are the things I want us to think about because we have a path. We are His workmanship that we walk in it that He's already laid out for us. We are humble. We are humble. You know, if God is sovereign, you know what that means? He's in control of everything. If God is sovereign, how can we have pride? Any kind of pride. That's just one of them things that, you know, kind of cruises through your head when you're, maybe you guys don't do, but I'm just sitting there going, wow, who thought that up? But we are humble. But we are unified. Look at our world. Is it unified? In anything. But we walk in love. Agape love that says, I will love you unrestrained regardless of your response. We walk in light. We reflect the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we walk in wisdom. We walk in wisdom. And when you come out of wisdom, what's the first thing he says? Be filled with the Spirit. See, there are some obstacles. Once you step in, see how this is the church? This is the church, brother and sister. You put all of these people together, they are humble. 
They are unified. They walk in love. They walk in the light that reflects Jesus Christ. And they walk in the wisdom that spoke existence into being. That's the church. But as I look later in this letter, it is obvious that there's some problems coming. Let me show you something. I probably spend more time with the Apostle Paul than I do anybody. Okay? 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. The church in Thessalonica was a thrill to the Apostle's heart. There's a whole bunch of reasons. But he got run out of there. They had taken a guy prisoner, threatened to kill him unless he left, so he left. Uh, he probably wasn't in Thessalonica much more than three months. So then he, he took off, and he's writing them back. He's probably in Corinth when he writes this letter. And he says, verse 18, For we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once, and yet Satan hindered us. That's fascinating to me. He was in Syria, getting ready to take the gospel. He'd been training in Antioch, getting ready to take the gospel all kinds of places. But he didn't know where God wanted him to go. So he said, well, I'm going to take it down south. And the Holy Spirit said, no. Well, I'll take it up straight north into Russia. Holy Spirit said, no. Let's take it to China. Holy Spirit said, no. Well, where do you want me to take it? Underbelly of Europe. Took it into Philippi and Thessalonica, Berea. That's why you and I are saved witnessing to the Chinese instead of vice versa. But I want to show you something here. He knew the difference from when the Holy Spirit was telling him no and when Satan was trying to stop him. Now listen, that same Holy Spirit is in each and every believer in Jesus Christ. We have the wisdom to know if Satan's put an obstacle up or if the Holy Spirit says, no, I don't want you to go there. Chapter 6 of uh, Ephesians. It follows all of this stuff they're going to be looking at. But he says, finally, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. There we go. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not with flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the powers against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you will be able to resist in the evil day. Remember when he said that? Redeem the time. Why? The day is evil. Having done everything, stand firm. Stand firm. Stand firm. See, when the people of God are humble 
unified, walking in love, walking in light, walking in wisdom. Satan gets mad. The world gets mad. But the world lays in the lap of who? Satan. We will be confronting spiritual wickedness. High places. Principalities and powers. Rulers of darkness. So we have to have the armor of God. We have to have that. Verse 18 of chapter 6. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on alert with all perseverance and petitions for all of the what? Saints. There's a group of people in this congregation who, I call it the guys, the wall guards. They're standing on the wall for Castle Rock Baptist Church. And every day, they pray for our directory. Pray for everybody. Every day. Somebody prays on Sundays or mine. Somebody prays on Monday. Somebody prays on Tuesday. Somebody prays on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And then if certain things come up, I I try to text everybody. I have not figured that trick out yet. Um, I'm just really good with a delete button when I've learned. But anyway, I'll send the prayer request to the watchers of the wall. Why? Pray with petitions, specific petitions for all the saints. So the believer knows his resources, this performance machine. We know the power that is there. We are engaging the clutch. We know the path. But remember what he said at the end of chapter 3, verse 17. What are you supposed to be? What does it say? Be strengthened in the inner man. How? By the Spirit of God. By the Spirit of God. See, that moves us to the worthy walk. We live in humility. We live in unity. We live in uniqueness. We live in love. We live in light. We live in wisdom. Living that way, you will hit some roadblocks. Sometimes, it's the Holy Spirit saying, Whoa there, boy. Sometimes it's Satan saying, I don't want to give that soul up. There are traps. There are barricades. We will have to battle the principalities of darkness. I've already shared with you, if you're not saved, you are darkness. Right? You're not in the darkness. You are darkness. You are a contributor. And we will have to battle this. That's why when you're sharing with loved ones who do not know Christ, maybe co-workers or whatever, don't be frustrated. They're dead in their sins and trespasses. 
How are they supposed to respond? They are darkness. How are they supposed to respond? Do you see what I'm trying to get at? If you're trying to do this because you've got a whole bunch of information, you're a fool and you're not walking in wisdom. We defend ourselves. James tells me if I resist the devil, what? He will flee. You have to fight the father of lies. Now, let me tell you something. He's good. He's good. That's why a guy said, well, do you think Satan is like a politician? I said, no, they're not good liars. Satan is. See what I'm trying to get at? We have armor and we have prayer. But we have to remember Verse 17 of chapter 3. We are strengthened in the inner man by the spirit of the living God. You can have the information. I mean, my computer has got an amazing amount of biblical information on it. It's not saved. Just telling you. It doesn't have the spirit. And sometimes it tests mine. It's, it's, if I use the race car analogy, what being filled with the Spirit is, you've got this horsepower in front of you. You see the track in front of you. You know how to kick this thing into gear and let her fly. Okay? But you know what? You don't put any fuel in that thing. What do you got? I wish Cheryl was here today because she'll tell you she had her son's uh, and grandson drag race. You know, I've been up and watched them a couple of times. I love that kind of stuff. I love it. But I'm too old for it now. I just look at it and go, God, that's, it scares me now. <laughs> it used to be something. I, I want to do that. And now I'm like, my reflexes, I don't even think I can get in it. But anyway, you go look at their fuel. It's uh, a purplish blue. When you pour it out in a little cup and look at it, and you're sitting there going... That's not normal. And he said, no, that's 110 octane. He says, you can't run that compression motor on 90 octane. And if you want that thing to be efficient, then you have to run racing fuel in it. I mean, the fuel is the same octane that they run in prop jets. That gas. And you don't want your airplane that says, well, I just don't have enough power right now, so... We can have everything right, but it doesn't work without fuel. I remember hearing a story one time. Somebody played a practical joke on an Amish farmer, and there was a radio station that was giving away a car, a GT500 Mustang convertible. So this guy registered this Amish farmer for this car. Okay, the guy wins, the Amish farmer. So they, you know, the radio station, they take it out to the guy like this, and hey, you got your GT500 Mustang convertible and all the rest of it, to an Amish man. You know what he did? He hooked up his horse to the front of it, threw the reins over the windshield, sat down in the seats and took off. 
How many of you are taking God's creation and hooking it up to the horse of your flesh to make it work? God created this vehicle and too many of us have the horse of the flesh to operate it. You're dragging around God's high performance vehicle with a horse. And yet it's meant to run by the Holy Spirit. So, so many are hauling God's vehicle by the flesh. And you know, it's easy. You can tell them. They have, they can have solid, sound, deep theology. And yet, they're doing it by the flesh. Listen, I've, I've seen it. I told, I used this illustration, I think, Saturday. I was at the National Conference on the Bible in 1998 out in California. It was at the release of John MacArthur's study Bible. Man! The big guns were out. I mean, there weren't no rank amateur anything going on. I mean, they had a guy who was so good, he preached after MacArthur. And these guys preached three sermons a day, Monday through Friday. And I mean, Joe Stoll, the president of Moody, was there. Tony Evans was there. Uh, David Jeremiah was there. I mean, there was all of these people. I mean, Adrian Rogers was there. Stephen Olford was there. John MacArthur was there. And I mean, and they're just, you're just sitting there going, is the roof just going to open and we're out of here? This is just, this is it. This is a, we're gone. Okay. But you know what? That was 1998. Don't make me do the math. I can tell you today what all three sermons per pastor that was preached. I can tell you the text. How is that possible? I can't even remember my birthday, but I usually have someone remind me. But I can tell you the text that every one of them preached from 1998. That is the difference between somebody who has theology and someone. <laughs> Martin Lloyd Jones called it the unction. And I, that drove me nuts. I was like, what in the world is that? But that's that British stuff. You, you get the unction. You're like, that ain't like gout, is it? Anyway. But it is the spirit takes over the man. The man has the information, but the spirit of the living God says, I want to speak to you from heaven in the power of the Godhead. That's the difference. That's the difference. I sit and meet with people, talk to people, chit chat with people, and I sit and tell them, I tell them biblical facts, da, 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 and all the rest of it. But if the Holy Spirit ain't doing anything, you might as well give them an encyclopedia. This vehicle, the body dynamic, runs by the Holy Spirit. There's too many in this body dynamic that are trying to get a mule to pull them. See, God designed each and every believer of Jesus Christ to operate by being filled with the Spirit, not pulled by the flesh. The message of this verse 
is that we all have the energy. We all have the power. We all have the resources. The path is laid out for us. The walk is before us to walk worthy of our high calling. And to do that, we have to be energized by the Spirit of the living God. 518 to 6.9, this power describes how the filling of the Spirit affects every believer. Do you realize that the filling of the Spirit in a believer's life affects every aspect of your life? Every relationship, every attitude, and if you're really honest, it's amazing and just a tad bit every once in a while, overwhelming. It affects self. In 19 and 20, singing hymns, making merry in your heart. How could a Christian be bummed out? Well, if he hooks the mule up to the vehicle, then ba-doom, 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 ba-doom. And yeah, instead of let her fly, bye-bye, let her fly. It affects others. Verse 21. Why? Submit to one another's fear of the Lord, fear of Christ. It affects my home. Chapter 6. Wives, husbands, children. 6.5. It affects where I work and how I work. The filling of the Spirit will affect everything in every relationship. Everywhere. It's spiritual fuel. Remember, we just came out of the wise walk, verse 15. Don't walk as a fool. Why? It's an exact mind. I have the information. I'm growing in the information. But I need to utilize the information in the power of the Holy Spirit. People have asked me, he says, well, what would you say as a concordance, a Greek dictionary? What is your greatest tool with the helping of you study? That's easy. Spirit of living God. I can't even tell you how many times I've broken down and cried and say, teach me. Because that exact path, remember? We have to look where we're stepping. We walk in wisdom. We don't walk as fools. It is a walk that redeems the time, remember? Why? The days are evil. Principalities and powers in darkness. Don't be stupid. Understand what the will of God is. Remember this? God's will, saved, spirit-led, sanctified, submissive, suffering, thankful. And then what does he do next? Don't be drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. It's the last element of the wise walk is spirit-filled. I'm running on God's fuel. You are a fool if you use your flesh to drag around the new creation of God. That's foolishness. See, wisdom... I have this tremendous resource, this amazing power... And I'm going to let it be powered by the Spirit of the living God. 
That, brothers and sisters, is wisdom. That is wisdom. It's, it's, uh, that old country boy tell me one time, he says, you just need to get out of the way. <laughs> and it's true. You've got the information, get on your knees and say, fill me. It's fired up. You know, when I go through this and you, you spend time tearing apart each word and you look at it in the context of the, of the sentence structure. You look at it in the context of history. You look at it in the context of other Bible verses and things like this. And I, I start looking at this and I say with great confidence that a believer in Jesus Christ, that we are the most powerful vehicle in the world. Nothing greater in this world. And the question is, did I put fuel in it? That's like, that. did you see that new uh, Hummer pickup? Zero to 60 in three seconds in a pickup. A thousand horse. And you're like, wow. But it's electric. And you're like, electric? Got to carry a little gas generator in the back in case I'm four-wheeling somewhere. You know how many horsepower that thing's got if you don't plug it in? Zero. So you might as well just get out and push it. We are the most powerful vehicle in the world. A believer is the highest powered thing in existence. There is only one thing greater in power than a believer in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Well, the Trinity. We have been given God's resurrection power. Read Romans 6. You have been baptized in him in his death. And you've been raised to walk in the newness of life. That is resurrection power. When you, when we have it all, which you see in the first three chapters, when we and you possess the greatest source of fuel, and we have the divine Holy Spirit, who is our energy? I remember talking to Pastor Paul one time. He was here. <laughs> and I was telling him that a true Christian is the laziest thing in the world. And he was like, what? How do you see this? And I was like, well, if the Holy Spirit's doing it, and he's already made the plan, we're just along for the ride. We should just smile and say, yeah, here we go. And after he scrambled his theology for a while, he says, I believe you're right. That's why it's amazing to me when I see people struggling with it. And you know what? You're going to walk up. You know, I don't think you're spirit-filled, man. Okay? Now, I have done that before. It didn't really benefit anything, but I was right. <laughs> we are a high-energy machine. We need to use high-energy fuel. We need to use a fuel because we are a divine creation, 
we need to use a divine fuel. Spirit of the living God. To live the Christ life demands that you be filled with the Spirit. Controlled with the Spirit. You know what it means? And I'm going to close with this. Filled with the Spirit. Okay. That makes sense. And I'm going to get more into it in the weeks to come. I'm controlled by the Spirit. Oh, amen, amen. You know what it means? You and I must yield to Him. Remember when Jesus said, Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me? Remember that? What did the crowd do? To use the Vietnamese term, they did him out. They left. They left. To be filled with the Spirit, you must yield to Him. And let me tell you something. <laughs> what an adventure. What an adventure. And we will pick up the adventure. All right. Let's pray. Father, Spirit-filled, Spirit-empowered, Spirit-engenerated. I can't imagine energized by You. And You take us in our weakness. Father, You take us in our feebleness. Father, You take us in our lacking. And yet, You infuse us with divine power. Father, we know the path. Walk worthy of this high calling. Father, we are grabbing the theology. Father, now I pray each of us will humbly bow before your throne and say, Spirit of the living God, fill me. Christ and Christ alone. Be it to your name, to your glory. Amen.